Bring it. Hello and welcome once again to Feud for Thought. We're back with another exciting episode. It's me, Ben Simmons, and my as ever esteemed colleague, me, Martin Hill. You know, sometimes when I do that introduction, I want to say steamed colleague, like vegetables, but it's not, it's esteemed. Um, it is esteemed, that's right. What? Have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever been in a sauna? Then you would technically have been steamed, I suppose. Yeah, I have been in a sauna, I hate them. Yeah, I've never liked you it. You can't yeah. breathe in a sauna. It's a really <laughs> bizarre thing that people do as a pastime, and I don't get it. Well, it's something it's supposed to, to clean the pores. Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, it sort of opens all your pores and lets out toxins and filth. <laughs> yeah, and then it all drips onto the seat and someone else comes and sits in it. <laughs> yeah, what a Beautiful. lovely image. Yeah, What a lovely image. If I had my own personal sauna, <clears throat> yeah. uh, I might consider going in it. Yeah, fair no. enough. Otherwise, it's pointless. Bad, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure I'd, I like the old public sauna uh, thing. Oh, fair um, enough. I can't remember where I was in one actually, but I've definitely been in one, and I definitely felt horrible and disgusting, and no cleaner. In fact, I felt dirtier leaving because <laughs> you're so sweaty yeah. than I did when I went in it. I've been in, so I can't, yeah, I can't remember where, maybe like leisure centres and places where you come out of a swimming pool and go in this tiny sort of wooden room, and it's it's a sauna that you could fit about six people in. I've had some it's just weird... just changing room, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had, I've had some slight... stripping off. <laughs> What's this guy doing? Huh? I've had a just couple of down. slightly weird, uncomfortable experiences where you go in this little sauna room and you think you're going to be on your own because it can't hold that many people anyway. And then someone else comes in who's a total stranger and you're kind of like, all right, we've both just got towels around ourselves. It's a bit weird. Cheers, then. Still a, ch- still a changing room, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> just, I've just never understood what a sauna a is. cubicle in the chair. <laughs> this bloke's like, get out. I'm trying to put my boxer shorts on. <laughs> yeah. like, who are you? Oh. Well, I didn't expect this podcast to start with that, but that's what I like. That's no, the- I didn't either. Well, I had a different beginning in my, in my mind, Ben. <laughs> Well, apologies if I've ruined that, but uh, hello to all our listeners and welcome. Thanks for joining us once again. This episode isn't going to be about saunas and the leisure industry, although who knows, it could go there again. Um, we're, mm. we're intending it to be about memorable nights out. And memorable. We've all, we've all had those. We've probably all had some we don't remember as well. Well, it's not a memorable night out, then, is it? <laughs> no. What? <laughs> it's difficult to follow the criteria because there's definitely what I want to talk about where I don't know what happened for four hours, but I've been told about what happened while I was there with friends of mine uh, and hence it's become memorable. So I will, I will come back to that later. Um, right, okay. But uh, before... Oh, that was just a teaser, was it? Yeah. <laughs> a teaser for, for what's to come. Yeah. Right, for... The main event will be Ben's... <laughs> Unmemorable, memorable nights. When we do our 45-second promo for later, yeah, that'll be a, a little clip. Um, yeah, I'll chat about memorable nights, obviously. Um, I was a little bit confused when you said memorable nights. I've actually gone a bit more lateral thinking with it because uh, a lot of the stuff I've got is on Bonfire Night, which is a memorable night, and we've just had the 5th of November. 
Do you know remember, what? Remember, remember the fifth of November. <laughs> I won't Guns forget the treason and plots. Yes, I um I haven't had a particularly memorable fifth of November this year in terms of seeing fireworks or going to a bonfire, but I have done in recent years. Did you see any kind of display or bonfire this year? I did. We went to Alexandra Palace, right, um, which is uh, just up the road from me. It was my wife's birthday. My wife's birthday is the 5th of November, so that is also another reason why it has to be a big memorable uh, event um, sure. in, in the Hill House because, um, yeah, we always try and do something. But we went uh, yesterday, which that's on the 6th, to be fair, but that's when they were doing it, Saturday night. Yeah. And uh, they had the big firework display. They had, uh, we went to the German beer festival. Nice. And they had this little um, umpa band, which was great. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I had a few bands on, but I preferred the umpire band. They were my favourite. Um, and we also saw at the end of the evening in a tent down by where the bonfire is, they have this big tent and there's another sort of musical bit. It's such a big space. There's, all, there's something, there's a fairground, there's everything going. Anything that you want, you can go. Yeah. And um, th- there was a band there that was like, I can't remember, it was like the heavy brass band or something, the heavy Big okay. brass band. I don't know. I can't remember. But they were brilliant. All like with the trumpet, massive tuba. The nice. Thing that wraps wraps around them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was a good night. Good night had by all. Was there an actual bonfire burning somewhere? There was a big, massive bonfire. There was a fire display. There was a laser show. Wow. And there was a 30-minute firework display. And I do like fireworks. I am yeah. a fan. Yeah, I, um, I've always enjoyed them. Yeah. So, so- um, yeah, it worked as a good night. Sounds like it was all happening at Alexandra Palace. I can remember as a young kid going to my local bonfire and fireworks display in Dartford in Kent and being amazed at the heat that emanates from a bonfire. When you get close enough, you're like, oh, that's what I mean. Clearly, it is a big ball of fire in a field, so it ought to be hot. But I was surprised at just how hot from how far away. I've always wondered, and you never hear about this, how do they put them out at the end? Does, is there a team with I fire extinguishers? Just, you know, possibly. I don't know. I think they just let them burn out, don't they? Or well, I, they might just douse them with water or something. Um, Maybe they know. do. Yeah, it's never anything I've thought about. To be honest, <laughs> but it is. It is a good. It is a good. I think they just let them burn out. Most places. Most Fair places enough. are in a massive field, aren't they? And they usually. Yeah. So they'll run out of fuel, and then that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I imagine. That is the case. But you didn't do anything this year then? No, I don't don't know why I was being particularly miserable. I think my wife had a gig working away in Carlisle because she choreographed a show um, a couple of months back, which has been on tour, and she went and kind of filled in as an understudy because one of the understudies went on for one of the main roles. So she went and played one of the minor roles because she knew the show and came back and was quite tired after that. And I'd had a couple of jobs where I'd been up extremely early. I was quite tired and we thought, let's just stay in and not do anything overly exciting this year. So um, maybe we were slightly miserable, but uh, not miserable as in we're really sad and uh, please feel sorry for us, but just miserable as in perceived to be miserable because we didn't go out. Um, But no, it was just more relaxed. But uh, yeah. So on your memorable night uh, assumption then, uh, what, what was going to be your Ben's Brain Buster? Well, this is, <clears throat> when I associate memorable nights, it's obviously 
very often nights you've planned to go out and do certain things and then it's whatever happens during those nights and then the aftermath um and there's a couple of things <laughs> i can think of that have happened to me that are quite amusing and worth telling but i looked at the places in the uk where it costs you the most to have a night out and where it costs you the least to have a night out. And you'll probably be surprised, not by the most expensive place in the UK to have a night out. And this is judged by um, how much an average drink costs, how much a cocktail costs, how much it will cost to get a sort of fast food snack and how much to get a taxi home. So, so they've added up the whole cost of it. Yeah, of the uh, average uh, things of those. <laughs> and obviously the most expensive place to do say. that is London. Yeah. Must so, be. yeah. It, apparently, though, it, the average of those things, admittedly, it's one drink, one cocktail, some food and a taxi home was about 50 quid. Um, Where? In London. For Shut up. Double one, that. What are you on about? One drink, one cocktail some sort of burger from somewhere horrendous and a taxi home is about 50 quid in London. But I, I, I call BS on that, Ben. <laughs> a, right. a taxi home would cost me 50 quid. Well, it obviously it depends where, I don't know where they've said people going home are going home from, but, uh, well, I, I'll be honest with you. This was a study done by the sun newspaper in September. I mean, I'll openly, I completely agree. London is by far the most expensive place. Yeah, but I think those estimates are way off because if you're in central London and you're even coming to mine, yeah, which is only zone three, I'm only, I'm not that far away. It would easily cost you fifty quid. In a now, hang on, hang on. All right, let me adjust <clears throat> the way I'm telling you it because I've just looked at the article again, and it's the cheapest nights and most expensive nights for students in the UK. So uh, I don't know if that changes your thinking in any way, but... No, because students will get <laughs> discounting a taxi, do they? I think you need to right, take off the ride home and it's still the most expensive. Yeah, well, anyway, regard- anyway, my argument is it's more expensive, <laughs> so I don't know why I'm arguing. They are right. It is the most expensive. London is I the most think- expensive. I was surprised at the least expensive place to go for a night out in the UK, which is... Shenfield. <laughs> Sadly, no, which is Dundee. Is it's, it? Uh, well, going by those costs where London is going to cost 50 quid for those things for a student, Dundee is going to cost you £25 for those things. That's, so it's half. And so half. it's literally half of a night out in London. Other mm. notable places, uh, Dundee was £25, Cardiff £27, York £28, Norwich £29, Leicester £30, Southampton £30, Liverpool £30.50. So, um, Were these numbers taken in 1987? No, it was done in September 2021. So, this uh, is bizarre. But to be fair, if there's only three quid difference between Dundee and York... <laughs> You're going to York, aren't you? I mean, you're not going to kick off about three quid. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but I don't think it's like random UK person is sat in the Midlands going, where shall I go for a night out? And then finding a place. It's just the cost of student nights out. And they've only done it by having one drink, one cocktail, 
one burger and a taxi home. So, Which, all right. as we all know, students are that frugal. On the it's, <laughs> yeah. So you seem to be quite upset about the parameters of this study. Um, all well, that, I just well, it's the sun. To be yeah, fair. whatever the well, monetary amounts that are given, that London <laughs> is the most expensive place. Dundee is the cheapest. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with the principle that <laughs> that is the cheapest and that is the expensive. I'll happily accept that. Yeah. But yeah, the parameters in which they've got there, slightly off <laughs> to me, but okay. whatever. But that's fine. Okay, that fine. as right. I said, I was focusing on the old uh, memorable night being, you know, an actual night that we all remember. And yeah. I was toying up between like Titanic, because that is, uh, the <laughs> film was a night to remember. And um I thought yeah. that'd be quite coy if I did that. But no, I went with Bonfire Night in honour of my wife. Yeah. And uh, so my my um, two lies and a truth oh, are yes. based on this. Okay. So uh, let's see if we can knock Ben off his winning streak. Here. Yeah, I did quite well last you, time, didn't I? You did. Yeah. You've done well every week, mate. You've not, you've not lost one yet. Because right. your powers of deduction are almost on the verge of Sherlock Holmes-esque. <laughs> it's quite good. We'll see how you do with this one. I don't okay. know if I'm now making it too hard to try and get you out of purpose <laughs> or whether I've been genuinely slightly comical and interesting. I don't know. So only, Listen, hang on, let me just remember, only one of these is true. Only Two one of these is true. Two right. of these are lies. Right. Yeah, okay. So number one, Queen Elizabeth I was the first person to have a firework display. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. Number two. Until 1959, it was illegal not to celebrate bonfire night. <laughs> right, okay. And number three, if Guy Fawkes had succeeded in his attempt to start the fire, scientists claim the explosion wouldn't have actually done any damage or taken any lives. <laughs> oh, right. So Queen Elizabeth was the first was the first person to have a firework display. Uh, in 1959, it was illegal not to celebrate Bonfire Night. And, until 1959. Uh, until, yeah. And um, if Guy Fawkes had been successful, the damage wouldn't have been very severe at all. So only one of those is true. Correct. Oh, Ooh, I think we've got him. <laughs> it, you're right. It is very difficult because they all could be equally plausible because, I mean, he could have brought Guy Fawkes could have brought loads of something explosive with him and then set it up like an arse so that it could never have detonated properly or something. I have no idea. Um, Queen Elizabeth I, that, trying to see, think how long ago that could have been. That's plausible, see? Rudimentary fireworks back then. Yeah, they, they would have been able to do it. 1959, illegal not to celebrate that. I know there's some weird old laws that stay legal for long past their sort of date where they're relevant i'm gonna go for that i'm gonna go for the craziness of uh only one is a lie yeah 1959 it was illegal i'm gonna say that is a lie no one's true you muppet <laughs> oh only one's true Dad, why have yeah. i forgotten the rules whilst talking myself because it's usually it's usually two truths and a lie i've switched it to two lies and the truth oh, just for comical value right that so has only, thrown only, me. only, only one, one is true 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 yeah right in which case let's make it oh, the true one is queen elizabeth the first 
Your final answer? I'm really not sure. I don't like it. Yes, it's for final answer. Yes. Incorrect, Ben. Incorrect. Your winning streak is over. Darn it. I rule. Um, (laughs) The first, Elizabeth I was the first person to have a fire winner. It's incorrect. It was King Henry VII. Wow, okay. But Elizabeth I was such a huge fan of fireworks that she created the title Firemaster of England and gave it to the person who she felt made the best fireworks. Oh, wow, okay. So she was such a big fan. Number two, until 1959, it was illegal not to celebrate Bonfires Night, is the true version. If wow. you've gone with it, oh, you it. I talked myself out of it. Yeah, you did once you once you switched it on yourself. But I thought, he's, he's gone and guessed it. I was literally <laughs> livid. Um, so, yeah, it's true. There was a lot of, up until 1959, it was illegal not to celebrate the the saving of the king. Wow. And um, although St. Peter's School in York was the one place that refused and was somehow allowed to refuse not to burn any effigies of Guy Fawkes because he was a student there. Okay. So they refused to do anything because he was a student there. And the third one, if Guy Fawkes had successfully attempted the fight, wouldn't have done anything, is uh, incorrect. If Guy Fawkes and his accomplices has, it would have completely destroyed the building and pretty much about a 500-metre radius around the building, it would have taken everything down. Wow, um, okay. Yeah, there was 2,500 kilograms of gunpowder in 36 barrels. Right. And ironically, in 1834, the cellar where the gunpowder was stored was actually destroyed by an accidental fire. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay, that's fascinating. I've enjoyed that. Although yes. not not enjoyed the fact I've lost my crown. I have to get it back next episode. So true, yeah. But but I was well. What what instigated that as well was I was trying to find out why bonfires was a thing. Like if yeah. someone had tried to blow up uh, Parliament and failed, and he wasn't the ringleader, by the way. He just got done for it because he had the match. Right. Like, he was just the guy they sent in. Could have been anyone. But it became Guy Fawkes Night. Uh, I found some weird facts out about it, really. But, um, yeah, it was really weird that uh, bonfires were the celebratory thing, and it was a celebration around the country that the king was alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I kind of got, all right, so why did we start putting him on it? Because he didn't get burned on. He wasn't put on a bonfire, Guy Fawkes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He (laughs) He was supposed to be hung, drawn, and quartered, but he hung himself. Right, okay. To stop being hung, but they still quartered him. Right. Um, uh, so that bit still happened, but then he wasn't on a bonfire. But apparently, like, sometime in the 1800s, kids used to go around with sort of effigies of Guy Fawkes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And try and, uh, and beg for money with them. They used to do well, stuff I, with them. Well, I heard like, a guy on the radio trying to explain the concept of Penny for the Guy to about a 20-year-old bloke who'd never seen it. <laughs> it ended up sounding crap because he went, you had to make an effigy of this bloke Guy Fawkes, which could just be like a dummy or you'd get a jumper and fill it up with newspaper and trousers and stuff. You have to make an effigy, you'd stick it in a pram and you'd walk around <laughs> knocking on people's <laughs> doors asking for money, penny for the guy. And <laughs> It did sound very weird, but when you understand when it would have originated and the sort of the concept and the tradition being passed down, it's not weird at all. You're right. It is weird to go, 
oh, our seat of our sort of government could have been destroyed in a massive fire. Let's celebrate that by building a massive fire all over the country. Well, it is a thing that we use these symbols that are in. There's a book that I read a while ago. It's called The Gospel of the Second Coming, and it's an agnostic view on the returning of Christ. Like if Christ came back today, what would he make of everything? Granted, this was written a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, one of the funniest bits in the book, and it is it is essentially sort of a, a comedy-esque type thing, but one, one of the funniest bits in the book is when he's walking around and someone's got a cross on the neck and Christ is like, um, what's that? <laughs> he's like, oh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a cross. It's a, it's a symbol of you. Uh, no, uh, no, you're missing. That, that's what killed me. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, it's a symbol of, of your death. So hang on, all you guys are all walking around with the symbol of the thing that they strung me up on, and you think that somehow sort of praises me in some way. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's something I'd not really thought about, that we use the sign of a cross as a uh, almost a term of endearment to him, but yeah. that is how they supposedly killed him. And I'm not agnostic, because I don't claim to be, but the book itself, when you were reading it, I just thought, oh, yeah, it just seems to twig that that would be a human reaction to something. Yeah, like sure. this, you know, We use the bonfires because a fire never happens, so let's start one. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, just, it's just really weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, we've looked at Bonfire Night in a bit of detail there. I, now, I know ever since the beginning of this episode, um, some 20 minutes ago, people have been desperate to know about the story of my night out that I was going to um, recant. So I'll do that now. Well, I think it's more you've been desperate to tell it. <laughs> I've built it up way too much now. It's not that exciting. But <laughs> it's better be a good story now. This Everyone was on... settle down with your cocoa. <laughs> uh, Ben's on. Here we go. Oh. This this was on the occasion of my 21st birthday while I was at Leeds Ooh, University. Quite some time ago then. Yeah, right about the time of Guy Fawkes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had a same group of friends that kept going out, and obviously it would keep being people's twenty-first birthdays. And we got into the habit of going to this Yates's Wine Lodge in Leeds, and because the barman knew us, everyone would chip in money, and he would make this pint of horrific stuff. Basically, it was like a shot of any spirit topped up with Smirnoff ice. And so you'd end up with this grey drink, but it had whiskey in it, it had tequila in it, it had vodka in it, had all kinds of stuff. And whoever's birthday it was, you had to drink it. And I'm guessing in a pint glass, it's probably the equivalent of having about eight normal drinks in one go. So everybody drunk it. Anybody who I'd seen on their 21st drink, it ended up in a bit of a state. I drank it. And then um, I was okay for probably about half hour to 45 minutes. And then I don't know what happened for four hours. And apparently this is one of the things that happened in those four hours. Um, One of my friends, who was quite a good friend in our group, um, was the first person to get a mobile phone out of sort of people my age. And not many people had one. This is sort of late 90s, 98, something like that. Well, it would have been 98. And... um, I was walking around with him, apparently, and then I was sick in a bin in Leeds City Centre. I vomited in a bin, so that was good. And then I said to him, I need your phone. And he's like, why? I said, I need to phone my brother, John. And 
he went, aren't you an only child? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I need to phone my brother, John. And he went, okay. And he gave me the phone. And obviously at that time, everything wasn't automated. And he said, what's the number? And I went, it's three. I, d- I have no recollection of this conversation. And he said, I said, it's 333. So to humor me, he rang 333 on his phone, which put you through to the phone company's sort of helpline. And he didn't realize that, but he gave me the phone still humoring me. And obviously there's now a person on the end of the phone that he didn't realize. And I went, is John there? And they obviously went, who's this? What do you want? And and bearing in mind the kind of person I am and that I would never do anything like this when sober, it worries me that I did it when I was drunk. I screamed down the phone, apparently, get me John, you effing idiot, (laughs) over and over again. And obviously they hang up on me and my mate had to take the phone off me. I seem to remember it was now only about sort of nine o'clock at night. They took me home and I sort of recovered for a couple of hours. So by this point, it had now been four hours. Then I can remember again. And I think I went back out after that to a slightly more sedate place. But basically I got completely paralytic, was sick in a bin and then abused someone on a helpline down the phone, swearing at them quite badly. And I cannot believe that I did that, but this bloke is absolutely adamant that that's what happened. So, uh, wow. Okay. There you go. There's, there's a lot to unpack of what just happened there. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, it doesn't sound like a Ben night out. No, it doesn't. No. Um, okay. I kind of, that, that was a good share that, I mean, I, I kind of feel I will, I, I will share one of my nights out. Well, there's only one night I've had that was in anywhere remotely crazy. Right, and I'm not going to share it now. I'm going to do a teaser like you did. Oh, okay. Talk about it in a bit because <laughs> it's, where, it's whether I get the uh, the urge to. It's whether I get the confidence to go through it. But I do feel it's like you I, could, should, I should give an equal share on. It that. seems to be a story where you could tell part of it or all of it, and you're deliberating whether what to yeah, do. Yeah, because you know I know there's people who listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, another um, thing while you're deciding. Another thing while I was at uni, and this isn't a crazy story, it's just a bit ludicrous. Technically, it's a memorable night out that was really a night in. But at the end of our first term at uni, we were all in halls um, and it was coming up to Christmas holidays. And my dad was would have been away working in Panto. So my mum drove up to pick me up from uni. And because I hadn't driven for a while, I said, can I drive home? That'll be really exciting. And she was like, yeah, great. No worries. She stayed up in a hotel the night before, came to get me. And for whatever reason, we weren't drinking. We weren't going crazy. There was a group of about 10 of us that decided it would be brilliant to stay up all night the night before to celebrate the end of our first term at uni and just hanging out with people you'd sort of got quite close to and decided we're mates now. And I stayed up all night not drunk, just did that. So obviously by the time it came to trying to drive home, I was quite tired. And rather than say to my mum, I've been up all night, I don't think I should drive. I was a bit sorry that she'd had to drive up all the day before. So I still tried to drive home and then kept nearly falling asleep at the wheel. I got about half hour down the road and she had to tell me to go into her services and stop being ridiculous. And she took over and drove home. So that was a memorable night, but I didn't go out. And it was, again, me being a bit idiotic. 
Crikey. So, I yeah. do remember some good nights. Like, I, I do like nights where... Um, I do remember a night at university, actually, because I used to work the doors at, at uni. So um, Yeah, yeah. In Wolverhampton, I used to work door security, so I know a lot of the doormen. And yeah. one night we'd gone out for my birthday. This isn't my big story, don't worry. Uh, one night I'd gone out for my birthday, and... Um, they take me to, it was somewhere, it was some kind of bar, I want to say like Revolution or something like that, where they made weird cocktails at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they kept, I've always been a big Only Fools and Horses fan and and things like that. And they had a cocktail in there that was called the Del Boy. Um, <laughs> and, and it came with like a, a little umbrella and yeah, a sparkly yeah. thing in it and all that. And, nice. You know, there's, there's various different incarnations of it I've seen actually, where they, they put a banana in it and stuff and all that. <laughs> Anyway, they kept, I don't know what was in it, but they kept buying me these um, uh, Del Boys. Yeah. It was my birthday, and it was brilliant, and I was having a right night, and I was in there for hours drinking these, and I was absolutely fine. And then at some point, I decided, I'll just go have a chat with the lads on the door, because I haven't spoke to them all night, because like, I knew them. Yeah. And so I walked outside, and I was stood chatting to them, and <laughs> the way that they described it was one of the funniest things they've ever seen in their life. <laughs> Because I'm a big guy, for those who have never seen me before, but I was just stood there by the wall, and I was chatting to them quite normally, and I literally just went, um, so lads, it's a good night, isn't it? How you doing? <laughs> Hit the wall, slid all the way down the wall. <laughs> they said, literally, your sentence started like you're the most sober person in the world, <laughs> and by the time you'd got to the end of it, we couldn't even understand a syllable, <laughs> and you'd literally just crashed into this gutter by the wall. <laughs> <laughs> just like, and it must have been the oxygen. It must have been hitting the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fresh air hit. Like I just literally <laughs> walked out of the bar, and the air had just taken all this alcohol straight to my brain, or whatever <laughs> happens. <clears throat> and I literally just got incredibly drunk in the space for about five minutes. That's awesome to go that quick. Yeah, nice. It nice. was that quick, and I was ridiculed for it by all for my entire time at uni. Anyone who I was working the doors with, they would ridicule me for. Yeah, just that, just face planting the wall, basically. <laughs> well, a lot of stories like this tend to end up with you looking bad. And again, I don't mean you, I mean the person telling the story if it involves them. So here's another example where I kind of want to say to myself in hindsight, what the hell was wrong with you? But I, you know, my friend Nick, he used to live, he now lives in Finsbury Park. He used to live in Golders Green, which was up the northern line a bit. And I was staying at his, but went out with some other friends and said to him, is it all right if I come back and stay at yours afterwards? Because I'm going out in London. I don't want to go all the way home. He was like, yeah, no worries. So I thought that's good. Hang on. You went to a friend's house to go out with other friends? Well, it sounds harsh. Like the sort of thing I would do is just go and hang out at his house for a couple of days. And then one of the days I was there, these other two blokes who didn't know Nick at all decided, did we want to go out? And he was going to do something separate. So I just said, I'll go out with them and then I'll come back to yours after. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. So I went out and it got a, had a few drinks, not ridiculous, but I had a few. So I was obviously slightly inebriated. And the good thing about if you're in London and if you live outside of London is if you stay with somebody who lives in London, you can get night buses home. Now you can get the night tube if it runs again, uh, but you can get night buses home and not have to worry. <laughs> Normally, where anywhere I've lived outside the M25, you've got to get the last train home or look at an extortionate taxi fee. So I was like, yeah, great. I can get a night bus. And I got on a night bus from central London knowing it was going to go to Golders Green. 
and fell asleep on the night bus woke up and it was at the end of the line for the night bus which was edgeware which i think is five or six tube stops past golders green so i came to him a slightly drunken state and the driver was going everybody off this is edgeware and i was like what and i came to i was like oh i've got to get off the bus he said everybody off and i got off i was like edgeware edgeware that's my and i i had a phone then and i was like this is mad oh this is too far to walk back it's going to take me like three hours to walk back i can't do that i was like i don't even know which way to go to get to golders green i i was like ah, oh, and i in my stupid state i decided i convinced myself the best idea was to walk to golders green and it however long it was going to take me i'd have to do it and i remember i went in a garage and i bought an a to z to try and, <laughs> try and find the route i ended up in collindale and i ended up getting stopped by the police at about four in the morning for why i was wandering around at that time of night and i explained to them and i went can you give me a lift to golders green and they were like no we're not allowed to do that and i was like cheers I ended up walking around for so long that the tube had opened again. I got to Edgware about half two in the morning. I ended up getting a tube at about half five and getting back to Nick's at about 10 past six. And um, it was like, I got in and I explained it all to him and he went, why didn't you just wait at Edgware for the next night bus back? And to this day, I don't know why I didn't. I just convinced myself that that was the last transport available. And he went, it's called a night bus because they run through the night. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I walked for three hours and got stopped by the police who thought I was burgling, burgling houses in Collindale. And uh, it was a ridiculous night where I looked ridiculous. Yeah, I have done a similar thing where I fell asleep on the bus and I ended up in Cockfosters, which is the, the uh, yeah. end of end of the line up here. Yeah, and yeah. The, the driver woke me up and says, it's, it's, it's the end of the line, mate. You've got to get off. Uh, he's like, where, where were you supposed to get off? And I was like, I was supposed to get off at um, Finchery Park. Either Finchery Park or Turnpike. I don't think the bus went past Turnpike Lane. I think yeah. I was supposed to get off at Finchery Park. <clears throat> um, no, it was Turnpike Lane. Yeah. So I was supposed to get off at Turnpike Lane. Uh, or near there and he says oh you've missed I didn't really know London that much either he says oh no you've missed that you're going to have to get you're going to have to get off now and I was like oh okay and I was obviously a bit drunk so I got <laughs> off the bus and in my head I thought right I'll do the logical thing Ben I'm going to cro- <laughs> I'm going to cross the road and get the next bus on the way back Yeah, that's what normal people do yeah exactly so yeah. I went over there I went to the bus stop and waited there for about 10 minutes and the bus came along and it was the same driver <laughs> as the one who dropped me off and he's like, where are you going to? I'm like, I'm going to Turnpike Lane. <laughs> this is, uh, can, right. He's like, uh, get on. And I said, look, can you wake me up? <laughs> if I fall asleep, I'm going to try and stay awake. And he's like, all right. And he did to his credit, but I'm like, if he knew where I was going, why didn't he just yeah. stay, right? Stay why didn't he say, technically you have to get off, but if you stay on it, I'm going to turn around and go back the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. I do remember a night as well when we were out. Um, we've been we were doing the comedy club in Covent Garden, and when we finished one night, they were uh, cleaning out the lines for, right, for the, yeah. the beer pumps. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, there's some free drinks, lads, if you want a beer." So there was me um, and um, my mate uh, Craig, who was 
you know, crew. Yeah. And, and yeah, I had my, my mate and his wife, and we were all there and we we're drinking, and there's uh, Dave and that from the top. And I, I was getting drunk because, like, they were just giving us these end, end of line pints. So we're just getting these pints. Yeah. And I was like, this is, and Craig is uh, getting a bit embarrassed by me, to be fair. And it's like, Martin, do you want to just wind it in a bit? And I'm like, no, no, it's good. We're having a night out. It's party. Uh, so Craig and Georgie are just like, right, we, we better go because, you know, Martin's just a wreck, whatever. <laughs> Like, come on, Martin, let's take him home. So they're dragging me out of the pub. And then we got out of the pub and we walked down the road to the bus. And the air had kind of had the opposite effect now. It had completely sobered me up. Ah, right. But it had 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 the effect it had on me earlier to Craig. So Craig, who was having to go at me for being sober as a judge, uh, for being drunk inside the pub, we're now outside and he's now gone loopy. (laughs) So (laughs) I've gone... So like we've completely switched places. He's like, Martin, you've been an idiot. Come on, we're getting out of the pub. Get out of the pub. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> screaming about. Um, we're on the bus. You know, like they've got the poles in the bus. He's just spinning in circles around the bus. Like, so I don't know what was going on. It was just the weirdest night where just like everything and just the air did something different to both of us. He yeah. got worse and I got better. Nice, nice. Um, but inside I was... Heavily, heavily drunk. All, all the nights to remember so far have revolved around being drunk, by the way. Yeah, well, I've got one more that um, <clears throat> you told a story about you and Craig. Nick came to visit me in Bournemouth where I was doing a summer season. And the relationship I have with Nick, we never, ever get drunk together. It's just not what we do. We go to the cinema, we have food and stuff, but we never, ever drink. And like we a had. Marriage, isn't it? <laughs> yeah and uh for some reason we were drinking this night and I, it's one of the only times we've both been drunk at the same time and there's part of Bournemouth that you have to walk through to get back to where our accommodation was where there's quite picturesque gardens and it's quite sort of up and down on levels <clears throat> and I remember sliding down mm. some muddy bank to because it was quicker than walking round and thinking it was brilliant like the equivalent of surfing but doing it on your ass and thinking that was brilliant got back to our digs where i was staying with my dad and i didn't realize but the woman who ran the digs had set up a table in my room and i it had a tablecloth on it and i'd never even thought anything other than that's a table what I didn't realise she'd done is actually created something out of a big bit of wood, like a half a door and two frames like you get clothes areas from. So it wasn't a table with four legs. It was this thing balanced on these two A-frames. And Nick got up in his drunken state, put all his weight on this table and it collapsed. So there was this huge banging noise. He then went to the loo he then got disorientated and tried to get back into my room and walked into my dad's room. And my dad's like, what are you doing? And he was like, sorry, and got out, came back to my room, woke up the next morning and the landlady was like, did your friend fall out of bed in the night? And I was like, yes, yes, that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't tell her that we got wasted. I looked at my trousers, which were absolutely caked in mud on the seat of my ass on the trousers. So I'd slid down this bank and then also had made a cup of tea when we got in and tipped it all over the table. So we had to try and secretly wash the tablecloth without the landlady knowing repair the table without the landlady knowing and wash my trousers without the landlady knowing. There was quite a lot of repercussions for one night out that night. Without the landlady knowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
don't know why I was so fearful of the <laughs> landlady, but yeah. The scary people. They can be, definitely. Now, come on, you did a teaser. Uh, whether it's the slightly more tepid version or the full-on fireful rocking version of your story you were going to tell, what are we going to get? Well, so it's, a, it's a night that there's still parts of it where uh, I, I don't get ill from drinking very often. In fact, there's only been twice in my life, uh, three times, sorry, that I've ever been sick while being out on, on the drink. I'm not a massive drinker, to be honest. Yeah. But when I was at university, someone was having a party. I think it was some kind of Halloween party in Halls of Residence or something like that. And for whatever reason, I was a bit upset that night, shall we say. I think it was over a girl, if I'm honest. Someone I liked who didn't like me back or something like that. Right, yeah. And um, I didn't really want to go out. Determined I wasn't going to go out, but then I got talked into going. Yeah. But I usually just drink lager. I don't usually do anything silly or drink anything silly or whatever. But uh, I went to the shop and I bought a bottle of vodka and I bought a bottle of Coke, Pepsi Max. Yeah. yeah be precise. Nice, yeah. And when I got to this party, I'd put everything down and someone swiped me a bottle of Coke. Right. So all I had was a bottle of vodka, <laughs> which I just drank neat pretty much on its own. Yeah. And... I don't remember anything of the night, sort of from about like 10 o'clock. On. I've got, just got no idea. Yeah. But I woke up in my hall. Now, I um, was fortunate enough, because I'm very peculiar with bathrooms, to have an ensuite uh, halls of residence. I didn't do the whole Nice. Thing. You did well there, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a thing. I just, yeah. Anyway, um, I woke up the morning feeling fine, to be honest. I was lying there thinking, oh, that's not as bad as what I thought it was. It was a decent night. We're all right. Yeah. And then as I got up, I just looked at a room that was utter devastation. (laughs) And parts of the night have sort of gone back to me since. But I first stood up and, and you sort of turn and you swivel out of bed. And there was literally a very beautifully neat moat of sick that went all the way around my bed, all the way down the little corridor, and all the way into the bathroom. The bathroom, by the way, was flooded. Wow. Okay. And, got, and we'll get to that in a minute. The wardrobe door was off on the floor. Right. And my computer monitor was smashed on the floor. Oh, wow. My clothes were scattered in the sick. <laughs> So I'd obviously fallen over and um, picking myself up, must have used the wardrobe door to pick myself up, which (laughs) pulled the wardrobe door off and hit the wall. And then going back into the bathroom. Now in the bathroom, which was completely flooded, it took me days to find out why this was flooded because I didn't dare tell anyone. I sort of secretly cleaned everything up that I could and I put the door back on. Yeah. and uh, what had happened is I'd obviously gone to the toilet at some point during the night. And traditionally, because I didn't have a toilet roll holder, the toilet roll was on top of the system at the back of the toilet. Yeah. Now, yeah. Traditionally, what you do is when you wipe, you put the wipe down the toilet and the toilet roll back on the system. I decided to reverse that scenario and I put the wipe on top of the system and I flushed a whole toilet roll. <laughs> which um, blocked the toilet completely and caused it to flood all over my ensuite bathroom. Wow. 
Right. And, and there is the reason <laughs> as to why I don't drink heavily. <laughs> <laughs> because I found early on that the damage is far is totally not that, worth anything. That is extreme do. carnage that you've caused there. Definitely. Yeah. It I is. G- and for the rest of my time there, none of my friends would ever come into my room. <laughs> constantly stank of sick. <laughs> oh, wow, mate. That that is a harrowing story. I'm I'm impressed that you told it. Did it feel good to get it out of your system again or not really? I mean, I've told folk before, not not on a national not national, <laughs> not, not well, it is as well. An international podcast, podcast yeah. yeah. Uh but um but yeah, it's it, nothing majorly bad happened. It was just a lesson no, you no. when you're a student. I mean, when you're a student, you do Oh yeah. I've, yeah, I've seen and heard far worse than anything I've ever done. I'll tell you now. I think, uh, although my mum will be sat there listening to this, going, "Oh, Martin," uh, I yeah. think, uh, I think she's very much aware there's people who've done far worse than anything I've. Well, ever. this is quite good because it's not involving drunkenness and it's just a sort of prank. I've always quite enjoyed light-hearted pranks. When they get serious and a bit, then I don't. But I was friends with this girl at uni. And we got into this weird sort of competition of getting into each other's rooms in the hall of residence and turning stuff upside down. And the first time it ever happened, we sort of jokingly called it Topsy Turvy Day. And I think she got into my room and put everything on my desk upside down, but everything. So there, I used to have like speakers for a hi-fi system. They were upside down, like and, and pen pop was upside down and all the pens back on top of it rather than in it and like all the bits of paper upside down so then she was sort of gloating that I would never be able to get her and I got her boyfriend to let me into her room when she was out one day and I put her everything upside down that could be in her room like everything that was stuck to her wall I turned it upside down anything anything lying about that wasn't nailed down I put upside down then I dangerous sp- in a girl's room, but <laughs> yeah. then I sort of gloated to her that I'd got her for that. And then she waited some well, she waited a year, and then on the same day, the following year, got my house because now we're not living in halls of residence, we're living in shared houses. She got my housemates to let her into my room with a couple of other people, and literally everything including all the furniture she put upside down so my bed was upside down with the mattress upside down on top of the wrong way round of it and it was unbelievable i had a wardrobe somehow they turned that upside down i was like bloody i was kind of impressed at the effort but like dedication yeah like with your aftermath of having to tidy up your room it was kind of, there's nothing malicious. There was nothing drunk that happened, but this is going to take me hours to fix my room because everything is upside down. I think we then stopped doing it after that because it couldn't really get any further. So, Before I moved into the flat, um, we, uh, me and the guy who was renting the room off us here because the flat wasn't ready, we lived in a hotel in King's Cross. I think I spoke about this on a different pod. Yeah. But uh, it was like a twin room and everything, like where the bed was, there was a, a bedside table at each side. Everything was identical. Uh, it was like this weird thing. But he used to get up a lot earlier than I did because he was working full time. I was still studying uh, down the courtyard. Yeah. And to entertain himself in the time when I was asleep, he would meticulously 
take all the things from one side of the room and put them on the other side of the room and vice versa. And ah. I did this a few times. So I'm waking up thinking I've put everything at one side and it's the most disorientating thing when you think everything's at one side of the room and then you wake up and you're like, hang on a minute, I didn't put any of that there. Yeah, it took yeah. a couple of days to work out that every morning he's doing this. Like, I just <laughs> thought I was, I literally thought I was going a bit mental. I'm like, it's really weird how I just keep putting stuff down. It's never the same. That's place. reminded me of something that only a very select few people will know the exact same thing, but um, it's not a night out. But when we worked for the blending company we worked for, for Vitamix, we first started, there was a huge work area you'd have to set up. And every demonstrator would set it up slightly differently. But without fail, you always had the sort of fruit and veg you were going to use in your demonstration on the right-hand side and all the other stuff on the left-hand side, like cups you were going to pour stuff into. And yeah. each whenever we used to work at exhibitions, you'd be paired up with someone, quite often people you didn't know all that well and people you hadn't worked with very much. And I was always pretty good at kind of adapting and fitting in with other people. And they're like, oh, you have a roll of bin bags there. I normally have it there, but that's okay. It's on the opposite side. I can cope with that. I worked with that guy, Gregor, a German guy, and he literally had his whole work area the opposite way round to anyone else I'd ever done it with. So he had all the fruit and veg on that side and all the cups on that side. And I remember spending every demonstration, whenever I reached for a cup, going to one side and then going, oh, no, it's over here now. And this is going to drive me mental. And I, and I couldn't wait to stop working with him. So, um, oh. yeah, and he was a nice guy. But- I was going to say, he was nice, Gregor. No, he was a lovely guy, but I I just, I don't know why he worked up, because his sister, his sister worked for him as well, and she didn't do that same thing. So I don't know why he'd started doing it like that. I'd have just said, oh, what are you doing? Do it this way. You're too nice. You sat there that's giving the difference. Edit, yeah, that's like, what, are you, what are you doing? That's the difference with you and me. You'd have been like, don't be an idiot, mate. We're doing it like this. And I was like, I don't want to upset him. I'll just do what he's doing. Brilliant. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of more memorable nights out. I've got another good uni story. I'm just about happy to share on this podcast. Um, Now I'm happily married. Obviously, any pursuit of women is kind of irrelevant now from before I got married. You say that, it still gets us into trouble, though. (laughs) True, yeah. But um, I always remember my first year at uni when I was living in halls, this girl came to visit who was the younger sister of a girl who was in our year at uni. So I think she was a year younger or two years younger. So she was 17 or 18 when we were all 19 and she was really hot. And a lot of the guys were kind of like trying to get with her. And me and this other guy in particular were really obviously trying to get with her. And the three of us, me, him, and this girl were going around for about three hours in our halls of residence, just having a laugh and whatever. I remember thinking, how do I get rid of this other guy? And we started playing jokes on people like knocking on their doors and running away because we were that childish and brilliant. But then we decided we would put a, a sort of thing of string across the doors in like a sort of web, put drawing pins in people's door frames, wind string around it, then knock on their doors and they'd open their door and come out into a load of string. And we thought that was hilarious. And then we did it to one room and realised the person in there wasn't going to find it that funny. So we ran off and hid in my room, my little single room in a halls of residence with a single, tiny, single bed in it. 
And the three of us, we turned the light off because we didn't want this bloke to chase us and know we we were in this room. And we all laid down on my bed. So there's me, her and this other guy. And I thought, I don't, I want this other guy to go away. (laughs) So uh, to let her know I was interested, I started stroking her hand while we were just sort of chatting. At which point, well, not straight away, after about three minutes, she sort of turned towards me, started kissing me. And then this other bloke obviously realised and had to just go away. And I was like, brilliant. But then I found out the following day (laughs) because he told me that I hadn't been stroking her hand. I'd been stroking his hand. And that's why he left. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it was just a complete coincidence that she'd started kissing me. If she hadn't done that, I have no idea how long I'd have been stroking his hand. It may have looked like a total bastard. So uh, it was incredibly relieving to realise that he had just got away, but uh, very, very bizarre. Yeah, well told that as well, Ben, because you started with the hand stroking, and I thought, well, he's obviously stroking his hand. And then you went in with she kissing. I thought, oh, he wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you went back to it. Yeah, that was the twist. <laughs> yeah, nice. Good good storytelling Thanks. there. I liked it. Thanks so much. Um, but yeah, uh, do you have any sort of non-ute? I mean, did you just spend... All your well, fun I've, times in university. I've slightly or? unfairly to all my other nights out, thought of memorable nights out and gone to a lot of times at university. I can remember not long after meeting my wife or getting together because we were friends for six months first before we started going out. Once we'd started going six out. Months, took your time, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I know. Once we started going out, she... Um, she was a dancer and she we met at a hotel in Brighton where we were both working on shows. She left and went to work for Born Leisure in Bognor and uh, was learning loads of shows there. And I think it was actually it was the day she auditioned for that. She'd done a really intensive dance audition. And then to celebrate her getting the job, we went out in Brighton that night. because That's where it all was. We lived in Brighton at the time. And so obviously it's now been about six hours since her audition and she's feeling the after effects of an intense dancing audition. And I can remember we had a couple of drinks and in Brighton, there's bits where you can get down onto the bars at the seafront, but you have to go down about 50 steps. <laughs> and she was like, I can't go fast down these steps. And I was like, yeah, you can. And just sort of dragged her down these steps. And she, her calf muscles were killing her from this audition. And we got to the bottom and she was like, don't ever do that to me again. My legs are in absolute agony. And in my sort of drunken, happy state, I just sort of forced her to run down these steps incredibly fast. That was uh, That was quite amusing. The first time my wife and I actually ever got together and kissed each other was in a gay club in Brighton. And it's quite funny, bearing in mind the discrimination they might have had, that all the gays were looking at us going, like there's a straight couple over there, I don't like it. Would you meet from uni there? (laughs) No, I never saw him. So... um, (laughs) Probably never saw him again. No, no, I haven't spoken to him for quite a while. He's still traumatised, clearly. Yeah. Now, well, some nights are like that. We've only got about four minutes left of this episode. So I don't know if you've got any other uh, brilliant stories you can quickly share. Um, with regards to nights out. Yeah. Well, obviously, that's what we're talking about, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, I don't have any sort of chaos. But that's the thing. Like when this topic came up, I was like, well, yeah, but I'm not. It, it's weird that we associate nights out to be with, oh, I got so drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can have when, nice nights out that are No, still totally. Memorable. I've had so many good nights out, but they, <laughs> yeah. they don't sort of uh, surround themselves with, with that. I mean, you know, we went out on the, the, the Friday, we just went out for Alana's birthday. I had a really good night out at The Alchemist where they have these cocktails where they all come... Uh, steaming and bubbling and all that kind of stuff and the food was amazing and it's a really good it's a boring story but it was a really good night out <laughs> so i've got lots of them kind of things where I sort of bean places or theater shows and things like that yeah but, yeah uh, I, I think it is just our investment in the stories <clears throat> yeah is bizarre because there has to be uh, you know it would be an incredibly boring podcast, and we'd have just come on and told us about every time we'd been to the theatre and had a particularly good evening out. Yeah, the exactly. The only way it becomes yeah. interesting is if we embarrass ourselves in some. Well, way that that has podcast. been what this has been all about. This yeah, isn't. I mean, the only other time was my my, my co- and again, this is the I said I'd been drunk uh, ill while drunk three times. The last one was very recently, which was at Alana's. Uh, cousin's 30th that we went out drinking and I actually think it was down to some dodgy beer that I was just throwing up. Right. But the first time we were in Ireland, it was my cousin's son's christening uh, in Ireland. And at the time, they're kind of drunk uh, vodka Red Bull, like it was some kind of fashion statement. Like literally everyone was just drinking vodka Red Bull. Yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. Because the Irish are so uh, friendly. Uh, they're all going, oh, yeah, and they're so happy to meet the English side uh, of, of uh, Andrew's family that they're all going, okay, yeah, I'll buy you a drink, and they buy me this drink and that drink, and I was absolutely, and I was probably about 17, 18 here, and I was absolutely mortaled by this, and I was sharing <laughs> a room with my brother yeah. at the time, and uh, probably about, Four in the morning, something like that. I had this, uh, and this is the first time it's happened. And I remember it. I had this. Uh, I thought I'm going to be sick. Like, I'm pretty certain I'm going to be sick right now because I've been sick before, just not at four in the morning after drinking so much alcohol. So it was a weird feeling. <clears throat> and I sort of sat bolt upright in in the bed, and I was like, I'm going to be sick. And I, Chris, my brother, said, "Well, get to the toilet." So I sort yeah. of ran straight around to the toilet, and I think the toilet door was shut. To which I sort of hit the door and then just proceeded to vomit all over the opening of the little foyer area of the room. Uh, and then our Chris very swiftly got up, got me to the toilet, and then um, I was sick in the toilet while he spent most of the morning cleaning up my, my, my vomit. Nice. That's what big brothers are for. Exactly, yeah. What's the point of them if they don't do that for you? Yeah. And bless him, to be fair. I'm fairly sure he listens to all this. So I do thank you for that, Chris, because I don't think I've ever openly sort of thanked you for looking after me that night. But that is uh, the true the true sign of a good brother, isn't it? When they're willing yeah, to definitely. clean up your vom. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, definitely. Well, I don't think there could be a more fitting way to complete this podcast, really. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us telling stories of uh, embarrassing things that have happened after nights out. Uh, They have been memorable nights out, even if we haven't remembered all of the details while they were going on. And we've learned a bit about bonfire night as well, which has been rather exciting. So thanks so much for tuning in. Yes. 
And don't Gunpowder, forget treason and plot. <laughs> you're enjoying that, aren't you? Um, <laughs> don't forget, you can listen to any of our previous episodes uh, via anywhere you get your podcast from. Just search for Feud for Thought. And you can join us on Twitter at Feud Thoughts. If you want to tweet us any kind of comment, anything that occurs to you after listening to any bit of the show, we're very grateful to hear from you. But right now, from myself, Ben, and my as ever esteemed colleague. Me, Martin Hill. Not steamed, esteemed. We're not going to a sauna right now. And we'll see you all very soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.